Hello and welcome to another edition of the Youthscape Podcast with me, Martin Saunders, and the very winsome, the very <laughs> gentle and beautiful... What? I'm not gentle. Very pretty Wait, Rachel what? Gardner. <laughs> Martin opened this off air saying, Rachel, don't worry, I've got a good way in today. That was it, was yeah, it? Yeah, that was I it. Was well, do you know what I what actually wanted to ask you was? Um, have you been introduced like that on stage before? Like, what is the... What's what is the most toe-curlingly uh, gendered way that you have been introduced? You must have, because they did. I've, I've heard, I've heard people introduce yeah. you on stage as the very, the very gorgeous. Yes, Rachel Gardner. Women tend to do that more. Yeah. So I think back in the day, probably I was mansplained, as in this, this is this is a human being. It's the female variety. Yeah. But it's all right because. We, we can kind of hear what she says. Whereas now, that, that kind of stuff is more from your sisters, isn't it? Like, she's amazing. I love her shoes. She's gorgeous. And somehow, you've got to rein it back in and be like... Imagine if I did that. If I, imagine if I introduced you as, look, don't worry about what comes out of my mouth. Check out those shoes. Look at those shoes. It's funny, isn't it? It is yeah. funny. So, no, not so much. Have you been introduced in a kind of a weird way? I mean, way? I don't do a lot of platform no, stuff, really. But, um, but I've never been introduced, you know, no. as beautiful. No. And, and you realise I'm getting a bit of a complex about it. No, you would like that, wouldn't you? I'd just like somebody to introduce me based on my appearance. Okay. So, Martin... Just reduce me. Just objectify <laughs> just reduce me. me. Reduce me. Reduce me, me now. Reduce me. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Youthscape podcast. It's a podcast where each week we bring you um, a different guest interviewer. Yes, no, no, we no, are the, no, interviewers, we're the interviewers, interviewees, yeah. and we try to kind of unpack some of the big things and the little things in youth ministry and youth culture, sort of stuff that you and I are kind of facing all the time. And and it's kind of quite eye opening, isn't it, that where Martin and I tend to start is always in utter drivel. Yeah, and talking about ourselves. And talking about ourselves, absolutely. Yeah. Do you know what I thought you were going to pick up on is the fact that because I was going to ask lovely listeners, like in your world how often legitimately could you wear the same outfit in a row oh. or the same item in a wow, row wow you're going there i am going I, there i wasn't going to mention it because i'm wearing a t-shirt that i wore yesterday and the day before <gasps> this is wow. my third day of wearing wow. it and in fact my daughter who is six did look at me this morning like mummy you've worn that for four days i was like no really defensive no not four days three days it's like just... it's like it's become your superhero costume well because it says it says we are all wonder women yeah. and so part of me is like i just want to wear it today because i'm doing podcasts and i just want yeah. women to know they're wonder women and it being a visual medium the podcast yeah, that, you've really works perfectly, doesn't put it? that across so yeah so martin sat very far away from yeah me. i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna retreat a little bit from you in this very small room for a whole day is that a curry stain you've got on there <laughs> Oh my goodness! What is what is going on here? This, it's becoming me? your costume. <laughs> Are you? Do you find crime? I'm gonna find a cave. Yeah, I find crime. So, uh, Martin, Hello. let's go back to putting you in the uncomfortable line. I don't know that'll last very long. <laughs> but we've got a great guest today, haven't yes. we? Yes, and we have. Sometimes on this podcast we interview people in the UK and people that come work in the UK. Sometimes we interview people who come from a completely different context. This is the States, which we kind yeah. of regularly say is, is different, but not different. Yes. 
But this is a great guest. Yeah. Martin, do you want to introduce him? Because it actually is your buddy. No, he friend. is. He is. Um, it, it probably at some point in the interview it gets cheesily uncomfortable. Where so I start, oh, I start right. sort of, you know, pointing out that we're off. friends. I do that. I think I do that in the interview. Do you? Just to warn you now. Just a few times. I go, we, we are actually we are friends. We're friends, aren't we? Aren't we? Yeah. Oh, just could you. you affirm that to the listeners? And he's like, eh, well, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call you a friend. <laughs> Uh, no, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't um, actually put that So over. he is uh, Mark Ostriker. And just to give you an idea, I mean, this guy is, in terms of youth ministry in the States, he is absolute royalty. And, um, you know, it's amazing to have him on the podcast. He was the president of Youth Specialties. He took over directly from Mike Iaconelli, who very mm. sadly died uh, in a car accident when he was president. And he was the founder of, of Youth Specialties. So really, I think I think Marco was sort of the second ever wow, person to head tough, up isn't it? Yeah. YS. And yeah. uh, and I, I when I was at Youthwork magazine, I, um, I don't know if that's come up, but I used to be editor of Youthwork oh, magazine. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. once. Um, and, uh, and when I was there, I, I got to know him quite well. And um, as we'll talk about in the interview, I saw him in that role as um, president of Youth Specialties. And then he lost his job uh, in really un unpleasant circumstances. And um, and then uh, had a real kind of wilderness experience, uh, and uh, and then has come out of the other side of that, and is all the richer for it, and write and writes about that, and speaks about that experience, and then um, and now has set up a fantastic, very creative, um, kind of. Um, uh, I don't know what you call it really, kind of like a creative youth ministry agency consultancy. The name is amazing, isn't it? Called the Youth Cartel. Isn't that a great name? It's a brilliant name. Yeah. And uh, he is just about like one of my favourite people mm. outside of this room mm. in youth ministry. And it's fabulous to hear from him. And he's just, he is a total prophet and he, he has loads of interesting stuff to say. We could have interviewed him six times and got six completely different mm. interviews out of him. And we may do yeah, over the years that, yeah, that, that, that trudge past. <laughs> Yes, um, but uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a fairly extended chat with uh, Mark Ostreicher. Youthscape podcast. Okay, let's Hello. talk. Well, I'm very excited that my guest today on the Youthscape podcast is a old friend, um, which makes him sound like an old man. I don't mean it like that. I've started on the wrong foot immediately. A friend who's not old. But I am, wide. though. I am old. A friend who has been a friend for many years. And is also as old. <laughs> who, is, who is not as not as young as he was when I met him. Oh, there you go. But he's probably wiser now. There, uh, definitely it, more grey. And uh, it, it is, of course, Mark Ostriker. You may know him as Marco. Um, and uh, he heads up the youth cartel uh, over in the United States of America. Um, which is a country uh, just on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, if you don't know it. And uh, very excited that you've uh, you've decided to come and, and, and join me on the Youthscape podcast, Marco. Um, we have been friends for a long time. I, I, I'm not making that up, am I? We, we actually do know each other. No, quite true. We have been together in multiple countries and many cities. We've attended events uh, at Wembley and... Uh, we have spoken at each other's events. So many fond memories we share. You make it sound like that's not true. No. We, um, <laughs> we, we did go to Wembley together, didn't we? We went to see England, Switzerland. Yeah, it was fun. Do you remember, 
Do you remember which scarf you decided to wear in the middle of the England uh, end? Actually, I think if I remember right, this was a number of years ago, but I think I happened to have an Ireland scarf with me. Is that yeah, true? You did. You wore your Ireland scarf, which I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth is, it's just the only scarf I have. You just have an Ireland scarf. Yeah, I'm not a big scarf guy. I live in San Diego, California. You know, our worst day of the year, I have to maybe, like today I was sitting outside and I had to put on this little hoodie because it was just a little chilly outside. It was actually nice enough out that you would probably be great in shorts and a tank top and feel great. But for us, it's a, it's a chilly day, just a little. You have me down as a tank top wearer. Well, <laughs> it's a great look on you. I think you're casting aspersions there. Um, so, so yeah. So, well, look, I first got to know you about, oh my goodness, about 14 years ago, maybe 13, 14 years ago, when you were uh, the president of Youth Specialties. Yeah. Boy, you say um, that with such import. I did. I did. And it's not to say what you're doing now isn't important too, but it, it, was, it was a very important job title. And you yeah. were... Um, in a very significant role in American youth ministry, weren't you? I mean, do you just want to explain for those that don't know what youth specialties is in a nutshell, you know, what that role involved. Yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, A, this is a big country with a lot of people and a lot of churches and a lot of youth workers, right? Uh, and there were certainly many organizations, still are, that serve youth workers, but youth specialties was one of uh, very few that were the large national organizations. And for many years, the National Youth Workers Convention was kind of the place to be. During our peak years, that convention ran in three or four cities each fall and had uh, three to 8,000 youth workers at each site. So there was a certain amount of scale to it that was a pretty big deal. For me, it it really became more significant and weighty once the founder of Youth Specialties, Mike Iaconelli, died in a car accident. Uh, so it was kind of a shock to the American youth ministry world. And um, that changed my role dramatically um, in ways that were great, uh, but certainly offered me the opportunity for some good lessons and some hard lessons. A lot of, lot of opportunity for growth. Not all of it invited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that went well for a few years, didn't it? Yeah. Um, and then and then came quite suddenly to an end. This is true. Yes. As good things sometimes do. And I remember that um, uh, experience was incredibly challenging for you. I mean, I hope it's okay to talk about it. I feel oh, like yeah. you've talked about this in, in public forums quite often before, but it was certainly a challenge uh, to you. But... Um, but do you want to tell? Do you want to just say a little bit about that process of moving on from youth specialties and and the journey you had to go on before you then moved on to what came next, which is still right. going. On. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I guess the probably the best way to talk about it is how it impacted me at a personal level, rather than what the logistics were. Yeah. Uh, you know. I mean, we had been uh, purchased by a large Christian publisher and operated as a department of that uh, publisher for a number of years. And that went well for a while. And then 
uh, when the economy was in tough space in like 2008, uh, we were really struggling financially as an organization and they were too. And there was a lot of pressure. And eventually in 2009, uh, that uh, parent organization of ours decided to sell off youth specialties, but they, they decided to um, make me redundant, if I remember the term correctly, um, about three months or two months prior to the sale going through. And I think it was really the kind of corporate fear of the executives there that didn't understand that I would never do anything to, heart, to harm the organization that I loved so much. They kind of just thought, "Hey, he's he's an organiz- he's the leader. He needs to be out of the way." Um, and so, but they couldn't go public with why I was being let go. And so it just was—it's hard to describe why it was so difficult. Um, but there was shame involved. There was embarrassment. There was, uh, of course, all kinds of rumors uh, because the truth wasn't coming out. The simple truth was it was a business decision, had nothing to do with you know any kind of failure or anything else at all. Uh, but it felt like all of that ugly stuff. And I, you know, I've often compared it to. You know, if we say that teenagers have three primary tasks, uh, identity, which is answering the question, uh, who am I, and autonomy, which is how do my choices matter, and affinity, which is like belonging to whom and where do I belong. Well, when I lost my job, all of those got, I felt like I was 16 again, because I suddenly wasn't sure who I was. I wasn't sure how my how I had any agency or any ability to make decisions that influenced anything, and I wasn't sure where I belonged. I, I felt like I'd been cut off from the world where I found meaning, um, and I was—it was a really lost time for me in a lot of ways. Very dark. Um, I, I think if I reflect back on what some of the major learning was, because honestly, now all these years later, and it didn't take—it probably only took about three years to get to this point. I'm so thankful for that pain. Like I am, I would uh, not change anything about it. I am so thankful to God. Not that I think God did this to me, but I know that God was walking with me and bringing about good and redemptive things in my life that I would like to think are now bringing fruit in the kingdom for other people too. So I'm thankful for it. I feel like Years earlier, I had been confronted by a dominant arrogant streak that I had, and I had had to really wrestle with that. But my my uh, end of my time at, at U Specialties and the maybe six or 12 months that followed that was a real breaking of my desire to try to control everything. And I couldn't control things, so it was a. It put me in a place where I had to choose: Am I going to release control and uh, allow God to work here? Am I going to uh, be able to find a level of satisfaction in life uh, around things that I'm not controlling? Um, and that kind of opened me up to a new place in my own spiritual walk. Uh, I feel like it changed uh, in many ways uh, aspects of my personality. Uh, it made me uh, a softer and more gentle person. I'm still a pretty driving person, um, but I'm not uh, as dramatically type A as I used to be. 
And I'm thankful for that because the work that I'm involved now in, if I feel like if I still had, if I was still operating as the Marco from, uh, you know, 2006, uh, I really wouldn't be as effective at what I'm doing now. And so it's all just that amazing part of what God's been doing in my life. I, I really, I mean, I think you know this, Martin, but I, I discovered hope uh, in that 12 months uh, and I discovered that I had a completely wrong understanding. I would say an American uh, lie about what hope was, though it would be interesting for you to respond to that. I mean, I saw hope as synonymous with optimism, right? That it was um, just look at the glass as half full and look for the silver lining. And the Christian version of that is let go and let God, right? And that kind of uh, bumper sticker theology didn't work for me in that time. And it was really uh, kind of some experiences in that first 12 months that led me to this new understanding of hope and a discovery of hope that was more about uh, truly believing, having confidence in God continuing to author a story that it's not over yet, that there's awesome, redemptive, beautiful things still to come. And, and so, yeah, I'm so thankful for all of that stuff. I know people go through a lot more pain than I went through, so I'm not trying to build some kind of comparative thing or ask for pity. Uh, it really was just one of the harder things I've gone through, and now I'm uh, nothing but thankful for it. And that is that is beautiful. Um, that that is probably, as you describe it, quite an American understanding of 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 Christian hope. I think the yeah. British understanding of Christian hope is is much more uh, realistic and even pessimistic. I think our, yes, yes. our version of Christian hope is, is it possible that we could still have half of these kids at the end of the year? Yes, yes. I think the British understanding of hope is, look, everything in every in life is horrible anyhow. Can we just <laughs> scrape together a little positivity, right? <laughs> yeah, if, if that, if that. So, so then you... Um, uh, I feel like we're doing This Is Your Life here, but uh, which is a show that doesn't make any sense to you at all, but it's very big in the UK, uh, about 20 years ago. Oh, the, yeah, um, I remember it. What, what, what I, um, uh, the story isn't over there, because you then launched this uh, thing called the Youth Cartel, yeah. which um, is, you know, people, when they hear that name for the first time, probably have a little bit of a reaction to it, I would yeah, think. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, but Well, exactly, and so... Um, so what was that? And it's, you sound like you're the crazy outsiders, um, which is kind of where youth specialties started. So yeah, was that's that true. What you do? You're going back to those roots? Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. Um, I mean, I wasn't there in the earliest days of youth specialties. It's been around for a lot longer than me because um, it actually started in 1968. But I do think there's some of that same spirit Um I mean, like, we want to stay small, the youth cartel. There's just uh, four of us on staff. We not only want to stay small, we want to be able to serve all youth workers, but from a position where we're able to stir the pot, where we're able to, uh, you know, shoot some shots across the bow, where we can be, I mean, our tagline is instigating revolution in youth ministry. We want to be uh, we want to be ups, upsetters. Uh, and yeah. uh, so it's not just about being uh, nasty or pushing for change for the sake of change. But I, I mean, I personally have this 
passion to see the church become who God dreamed the church could be, who Jesus intended the church to be. And that that begs for change. So I, when I look back at at least the church in, the, in America, and I think this is true in the UK also, so much of the best change over the last hundreds of years has often been fueled by movements from youth. And so I, I want to foment change in the church of Jesus Christ through the ministry done with youth. And I, and I see it happening on a regular basis, which is super encouraging to me. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been watching news reports from the U.S. recently of, um, of young people demonstrating, um, well, literally demonstrating, but, uh, but yes. showing that they, uh, they, they are the future, that they are going to shape uh, their own future by revolution. Uh, it, it's been incredibly inspiring to see the, the March for Our Lives stuff and yeah. the response to uh, the, the, the various ongoing high school massacres that you, you've had over yeah. many years. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's very, very encouraging. I, you know, I think a lot of it, uh, Martin, comes down to a question that I uh, ask a lot these days, and I've written this in books and said it other places, so it's not like this is the first time I've ever said this, but for me, this question that uh, I'd love every church to be asking, but even youth workers need to be asking this, do I see teenagers as a problem to be solved or as a wonder to behold? And even though you and I and our fellow youth workers listening to this podcast might assume, oh, well, of course, I'm pro-teenager. I love teenagers. I love youth. So, of course, I would say wonder to behold. I would suggest that even a large percentage of people who are vocationally involved in youth work are still problem-to-be-solved perspective people. And if you have a problem to be solved perspective, which I would say 95 to 99% of our uh, American culture has that, including the majority of our churches, then you look at things, even like the research that's come out in the last uh, few years about the underdevelopment of the prefrontal cortex and how teenagers have a hard time making good decisions. Well, you look at that then and you say, see, they're broken and they're incapable, and we should isolate them more and treat them as if they were children. But if you have a wonder-to-behold perspective, then you are asking questions, what might the beautiful creation intention have been for why teenagers are this way, and how can that be a gift both to them and to our churches and to our world? And I think we need to be applying that. When I look at the kids in the marches that have taken place recently, uh, if you look at that with a problem-to-be-solved perspective, you see, oh, man, these kids, they're just causing problems, and they're idealistic, and there's really nothing. All, or at the, at the most, you might think, uh, in kind of a patronizing way, kind of a pat on the back, oh, that's so sweet, look at them, it really won't make a difference, right? But if you look at it, as I, the reason I was thinking of it was your hopeful words, if you look at it with that wonder to behold, look at these, these kids can really change the world, right? God can use them in significant and powerful ways, whether you agree with that political agenda or not. What I loved about that section of the podcast was that you carried on brilliantly uh, whilst all sorts of things were happening behind me. 
It was like it was like a West End farce. I've no idea whether it'll it'll have picked up on the recording. I, I, you should. I think it would be nice for the listeners to maybe back up and just listen if they heard a dog whine in there because that was a hard for me to carry on through that. You kept going though. I could see the look on your face. You were desperate, to, dude. We uh, could have uh, made it through. You didn't have to call it out. You have to. You have to tell people that. Appreciate it, but I. I can tell you right now, uh, Rachel Gardner will will be just loving the whole wonder to behold thing. She will be raving about that. The little I can tell you right now, that's what we're going to talk about in the little post interview chat later on. Awesome. Um, so uh, I mean, there's so much there, beautiful stuff, and um, and you are somebody who maybe um, uh, offers a little bit of a prophetic voice into American youth ministry, and I think probably the world beyond that. You do. Um, uh, you do take some sort of um, uh, you. Sorry, let me start that again. You're somebody I think who who reads a bit more widely, um, who thinks a bit more sort of psychologically about what's going in a young person. You know, you you kind of bring those influences to your thinking about youth ministry. You don't have like a secret degree in like child psychology or something. I do, do not. I have a master's degree in curriculum development, which counts for something, but definitely but related to that. But definitely, it's been much more about reading and pursuing the stuff that I'm intrigued by. I do think I'm a curious person, and that could be interpreted in more ways than one. And, yeah, I was already interpreting it at least two ways, and uh, both so, both accurate. So, um, so the Youth Cartel uh, is uh, a resource publisher. Um, but it's also a bit more to it than that. Yes. Um, and one of the most interesting, we'll talk particularly about one of the books um, uh, before the end, but but one thing I really wanted you to unpack um, is this kind of cohort model that you've developed. And it is your model, isn't it? So um, yeah. others may have done similar things, but you, you guys have been doing this for a few years. Um, and so you get groups of youth leaders together in a place, yeah. um, probably – because of geography or not necessarily. Um, and then you, you kind of spend time with them and you, and you go on a journey with them as a group. So do you want to just talk a bit about how that works? Yeah. Uh, you know, having been part of uh, youth ministry training events for so many years, um, there's a time and a place for a, a once a year convention, like the wonderful uh, event that you guys are hosting, uh, like the ones that I was part of for so many years at Youth Specialties. That's great. It's, those are particularly helpful, I think, when you're a newer youth worker and you need skill training. But what I uh, found was that people who had been in youth ministry for more years, and I, I think there's a, 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 a little healthy movement on this in the UK, but there's been a lot of movement in the United States of youth workers with longevity. Um, like one of my cohorts of 10 youth workers right now has five people in it that all have 25 or more years of experience in youth ministry. Wow. Now that's, that's, uh, an, an extreme end of the continuum, but there's more and more of that. And those people, I'd say as soon as they get past about five years, they start looking for something deeper and, so what we put together is a year-long youth worker development program that's really more of a focus on the growth and health of the youth worker and on leadership development, leading from values, learning how to lead change, things like that. Uh, skills and thinking that would be helpful whether or not you stay in youth ministry. 
Uh, and we, I started this actually, it's what kind of gave birth to the youth cartel because I started the youth ministry coaching program first. Yeah, so it's 10 people in a cohort. We found that it's so much more productive to be in a group process learning together rather than me being expected to be the expert who can speak into everyone's lives. And we go on this year-long learning uh, adventure together. Most of our cohorts meet six times for two days. So we meet every other month for two days. And it's a variety of uh, training and dialogue and personal sharing and problem solving and a whole bunch of different things. Um, we do about 10 cohorts a year. So we have about 100 people in the program at any given time. Um, and they are all over the United States. Um, and some of them are regional uh, and some are more focused on a topic. For example, I'm sure you've heard of um, multi-site churches, and there's some of those yeah. now in the UK too, of course. It's been such a fast-growing movement, and we found that youth workers are, they're never in the driver's seat of why a church decides to go multi-site, so they're always responding to this changing need. So we have a cohort just for those youth workers it happens to meet in Southern California, but the youth workers are coming in from all over the country for that, uh, whereas other ones are much more regional. And I have a, I, I feel like an evangelical uh, question brimming within me here, um, or certainly a jargon question, which is what what do you find is the fruit of uh, of, of meeting like this? At the yeah. end of that time, what yeah. is the difference that is made by this model? Well, uh, man, I mean, I... I I'm going to answer your question, but I'm reluctant to because it sounds like I'm overselling it. <laughs> but I've just never been a part of something that's so transformative. I got a card in the mail this last week from a woman who has just recently graduated from the program. And she uh, sent me a nice batch of cookies, as we would say. Uh, that's Is that biscuits? No, we. Do you know that's one of those awful words that's infiltrated our our language now. Yeah. Now we say cookies as well quite a lot. Is there a difference between biscuits and cookies? Yes, there are. Cookies are a type of biscuit. Oh, okay. Biscuits are all biscuits. Got it. Whereas cookies are those kind of round right biscuits. They have the chips like chocolate chips. Okay. Or, or I am almost through all seasons of the Great British Baking Show right now, and there are episodes given just to biscuits, but I've never seen one given to cookies. So anyhow, that was a sidebar. A lovely one, though. Um, <laughs> uh, she wrote me this card that said I was completely lost, and this program gave me my life back. I've re wow. I've rediscovered who I am. I've rediscovered God's love for me. I've reignited my calling and my passion for youth work. And I have nothing but the work of God through this program to thank for that. Now, that kind of a result is what we see from the vast majority of the people who go through this. It's truly transformative. So it's much more than a learning thing or going to take a course on adolescent psychology or something. It's about growing in self-knowledge, growing in uh, self-awareness and the depth of thinking. And that cohort model is part of what provides for that. It's a, a honest and vulnerable but supportive um, cooperative learning experience. So you, you you know, 
the question is, would that translate to the UK context? You know, I think you have a pretty good handle on on things here, better than than most. Do you think um, Do you think it would work here? One of the things I I I would think we would struggle with is we struggle to pay for things in the UK. So right. uh, you know, there's a cost involved to right. running this sort of intensive, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but a- apart from that, do you think this would translate to the UK culture? I think it would absolutely translate. I'm sure there would be modifications to be made in some aspects. And certainly, again, part of the strength of the cohort approach is that it's not reliant on exclusively on the lead coach, which in most cases is me, though we have some other people doing it too, uh, because the group ends up making it a collaborative learning experience. So it gets customized by participation of the people in it. So yeah, I mean, we did one in Canada and it worked great. Um, And we've talked about quite a few other contexts. So I'm sure, oh, that's lovely. Wait a minute, what's this? That was an incoming phone call. Sorry about that. yeah, I'm quite confident that it would uh, work very well. Cost is, of course, an issue, uh, and churches in the United States often have more funds allocated to youth ministry and youth workers because of the value of youth ministry here uh, and the longevity. Youth workers often have the ability to pursue this on their own in some way a little bit more. I apologize. That's all right. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think so. <laughs> it's like the great thing is we can edit this. We can do. I just turned it off. <laughs> Perfect. We can edit that out. That's fine. We may leave the dog in. I think dog. we should. That was fun. Yes. We'll take the iPhone out. So um, I'm going to change uh, direction for the last bit. Um, so um, the, the final thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, your publishing and, and particularly one book. Um, which has just uh, been released and is available in, I think we, you can order it in the UK. Um, and, uh, and it's uh, looking at the subject of how we, uh, as youth ministry, as youth ministers, respond to LGBT young people. And I would say if there's one subject um, which has really tied us up in knots in this country, and I know certainly in your country, in the church in the last decade, it's been uh, this one, and um, we are, I would say, in many cases, scared to even have conversations about it. Mm-hmm. The wonderful thing about the book, which I'd, I'd love you to just talk about for a moment, is that it, it models good conversation around this subject. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and no, I'm not saying issue. Um, I've learned the lesson at last. Um, but, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a really important book not just because of the content, but because of the uh, the very approach of mm. the book itself. So yeah. you want to talk about it a bit? Yeah, sure. It's called Four Views on Pastoring LGBTQ Teenagers. Um, and we had decided uh, about a year and a half ago that we wanted to develop uh, a kind of a subline of books that were uh, along a Four Views perspective. Uh, but... What's mostly been done in Christian publishing with those kinds of books has been theological debates. And we felt like what was really needed by youth workers was something more pragmatic. They could find the theological debates elsewhere. We also knew this was the first topic we needed to address in this line. The second one in this line we're working on right now is four views on talking to teenagers about sex. Um, So those are the kinds of things we'll continue to address. 
But with this, we knew it, was, it had to be the first book out of the gate because here, too, it's, uh, it's just a regular conversation. Den entire denominations are on the precipice of splitting over this. And in all of our coaching groups, often when the youth cartel decides to publish something, it's because the subject comes up so often in our coaching program. It This always comes up. There's Every cohort has at some point in it, usually multiple points, youth workers saying, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm not sure even if I'm in the same place exactly theologically as my church, and that's part of the tension. I feel like whatever I do, do or say with a teenager who's coming out to me or whatever it is has questions that I might get in trouble for it. And I also don't want to make the problem worse with kids. So how can I be faithful to my calling and do the right thing? I don't know what the right thing is. So yeah, we intentionally found four writers, four contributors who are in the trenches, youth workers, not just theoreticians or theologians and had pragmatic experience of working with gay teenagers or, or uh, same-sex attracted teenagers and, uh, and, and could kind of lay out what's their pragmatic approach. Of course, they're all rooted in theology, but it's not a theological debate. And we tried to find them with differentiation. One, of course, as you know, Martin, is uh, one of our four is a British uh, person. So this, fourth is, this book is one-fourth British already. Um, and Gemma was a wonderful contributor and great to work with. So, yeah, we had a wide variety of responses, but they they were respectful to one another. So it's a really healthy dialogue. Each one of them responded to one of the other chapters, too. Um, and, yeah, it's it, it's re been received very well. People are finding it to be uh, very helpful. I, I, what I think is brilliant about the book is that wherever you are on this a series of questions, yeah. uh, you probably will find your voice or your starting point represented within yeah, the book. Um, so, that's so almost true. That's almost true. Because as, and I functioned as the general editor on the book, I wrote the introduction, I picked the writers, and I wrote one of the appendices. Um, there was a perspective that I refused to have in the book. I will be honest with you. I refused to have the perspective, I refuse to have anybody that said that the answer is love the sinner, hate the sin. Hmm. And interestingly enough, all four of the contributors in their own, developing their own chapters on their own, all four of them talked about, even our most conservative guy talked about why that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and so what I wasn't willing to have in the book is uh, a response that says, we just need to tell kids, hey, Jesus wants you, but you've got to know where we stand because that ultimately doesn't work. Um, and so that perspective is not in there. There is one guy who is obviously the conservative voice, yeah. um, but he, um, he writes his perspective in a way that even somebody who's a little more progressive would feel comfortable and feel like he has a very valid uh has valid things to say that are helpful yeah well i i think it's a brilliant uh book it's a brilliant thing that you've done it i think it's brilliant that you have taken the the risk of doing it because there is some exposure to you as an individual but also as an organization by sticking your head above the parapet and and publishing i think so often we are 
frozen by the fear that even having these conversations will uh, create a, a storm and, 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 and get us into trouble with one group or another. Sure. I, it's brilliant. I wonder if you'd like to know maybe what a couple of the commonalities were. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because uh, this is, again, what I, I feel like I've been a little more armed for the questions youth workers have for me because of the development of this book. So when youth workers ask me, well, what, what do I, what's the one thing I need to know? What do I say? And some of the things that I gleaned from the working on this book, it takes tremendous courage for a, for a teenager who is wondering about their sexuality to come to you as a youth worker, whether you're employed by the church or if you're a volunteer, it takes tremendous courage for them because most of them already assume I'm going to experience rejection. And so for them to say to you, I need to talk to you, I'm wondering about this, the first thing we need to do is to affirm their courage. Thank you for trusting with trusting me with this. It took tremendous courage on your part to share that with me. And I want to honor that. The second thing that's so critical is no matter what your theological posture, it's critical that we tell teenagers, Jesus loves you, and I love you, and we want you here. So we want you to be part of our ministry. Wherever you're at in this process, we want to walk with you. And a conservative can say that, and a progressive can say that. And nothing else we might say matters until we can say authentically say those things first. Most teenagers who are struggling with same-sex attraction need to hear that over and over again because their assumption is, I'm going to experience rejection because of this. Do you feel hopeful, Marco, um, uh, on this on this whole subject that we are going to get there, that we are going to uh, just get past that sort of gridlock that I, I described of not quite knowing uh, how to, um, how to love young, all young people equally. How to, do you think, do you feel hopeful that we're going to move past that phase? I feel tremendously hopeful. If you would think for a moment, all of you listening right now, think for a moment about how much this conversation has changed in the last five or ten years. It's mind-blowing. It has changed so fast. The fact that you and I are talking about how can we love teenagers in the midst of this struggle would not have been the question that all of us evangelicals, progressives, people more conservative than evangelicals, we would not have all been having this conversation five or ten years ago. Only a few people would have. So it's changed fast. It's continuing to change. And I'm very hopeful um, that uh, things are going to continue to change and be uh, it, the church will become more a safe place for all people in the years to come. Awesome. Marco, thank you so much for your your time. If people want to check out some of these resources and find out a bit more about Youth Cartel, where do they go? Well, the youthcartel.com. That book, most of our books are not available in the UK, and I'm sorry to say that. We've talked about doing something with Youthscape if they'd ever get their act together. Um, (laughs) And um, uh, that book, though, is available, and I can't remember what it is, but it is available there somewhere. And that's one of our books that we've made available on Kindle. So that's 
uh, available via Kindle in the UK also. Okay, so it's uh, it's theyouthcartel.com. Marco, you are a legend, um, and many people will have loved uh, reading your columns over many years uh, in Youthwork magazine as well, and whatever it's called these days. Youth, youth, youth children. and children's work. Youth and children's work. Yeah, I should know that really. Um, oh, it's actually called Premier Youth and Children's Work. Yes, because it's the best one. <laughs> That's why. Exactly. Yes. So, so I, so I thank you on behalf of the entire British Youth Ministry community. Wow. For all of that. And um, uh, yeah, we hope we'll see you on these shores soon. So do I. I am long overdue for a trip to the motherland. We'll coordinate a Wembley visit and yes. we'll get you to see Perfect. some true shocking football. Okay, sounds good. Hey, great to speak to you. Thanks. The Youthscape Podcast. Mark, Mark is, and he's an absolute guru around this stuff. And I, I think actually for many years, my favourite part of Youth Work magazine was his last word at the end, yeah. the bit that he wrote. Because he just has this ability to kind of like point like with sharp focus to one thing and get you really digging deep and so I think you're right the interview covers so much stuff and, and I really would love us on this podcast this is like a public meeting now to explore some more of these things particularly the book around pastoring LGBT yes. we need to talk more let's, yes. let's chat more about that at some point but um, but I, I want to ask you Martin are you because you've known him a long time mm. are you hearing a change in Mark like this cartel the cohort it's really like really taking ground and really the tone is let's not let's not sit back and let youth ministry just dwindle let's come back fighting and mm. what are you seeing a change really in well i mean it's hard to I mean, it's hard to comment on him um i i think uh he has he wouldn't i'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying he's someone who i've seen mature and and change over the over now over a decade of knowing him and he's been through a lot uh, and he's also kind of still carried a lot of um, responsibility for leadership in youth ministry. Even even when he was, the youth cartel thing kind of hadn't even got going. I think people still in the US, uh, or a lot of people, more sort of sage youth workers, would have looked at Marco as opposed to some of the sort of resource publishing houses and seen him as a prophetic voice and mm. someone who was prepared to, A, challenge some of the kind of yeah, big church stuff. Right. Um, and B, um, you know, innovate and try yes. new ways of, of doing things. And I think that's why we've enjoyed such a, a good relationship because we're really both interested in that innovation around youth ministry and where, where it goes. But he is a bit of an agitator and he is, I don't know, he's like a really pleasant, angry voice. You know, like he's really <laughs> nice about it. That's a great way he's, to put he's it. He's really yeah. chilled, yeah. but he is he is an agitator yeah. and he does want things to change yeah. and um, and so the cohort thing for instance I think is him imagining a completely new model for youth ministry sustainability and youth ministry um, uh, innovating within itself yeah. so, so could he, it work here do you think well you see that's a big question yeah. isn't it so yeah. that, that was our that was our discussion was could it work in the UK um, could we get churches to invest that much in their youth leaders that they're releasing them mm. for quite a lot of time for mm. you know weekends at a time to get together and talk and pray do we prioritize youth ministry mm. enough in the UK 
as churches to allow them to do that? Or would we have too many rotors for our youth leaders to be on to ever let them go away and just yeah. dream and, and blue sky think together? I'm not, I'm not sure. I'd love to know. Actually, if, you, if you're listening to this yeah, and you yeah, feel yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd join a cohort yes. um, yeah. and, put, you know, and my church would put money behind it and, yeah. and we'd, we'd, um, we'd go on a journey for, for 12 months or something with, with a group of other youth workers to discover the future. I'd really be interested yeah. if there is a, an appetite for that. I honestly don't know the US context is so different it's still so um, there's so much money in it and they're still employing workers that there are you know I think I think uh, we were talking um, I don't think on on when it was recorded but we were talking about how probably still 90% of the youth workers uh, in the UK sorry in the world sorry 90% of the youth workers in the world uh, who are employed are based in the US oh my days and really? I think and I was, do you know I was talking to Colin Piper from the World Evangelical Alliance the other day who we should get on the podcast yeah. actually yeah. Um, who um, who is another great forefather of British youth ministry uh, and he he puts it about the same figure so about 90% of um, paid youth workers in the world probably in the US yeah. which is a really interesting thing because you don't see great innovation coming out of well, I was about to say that because we've um, been spending a bit of time haven't we, with some European youth workers and I, I felt really challenged recently thinking if you are doing youth ministry in a Baltic state mm. where there is no funding, no resources, the churches are struggling with everything but you are innovating youth ministry, me sat in the West, I, I want to I go and hear what they're doing because that sounds really interesting to me that with yeah. no resources, no outside help, they're creating some brilliant stuff. So it's an interesting kind of global cohort yeah, kind yeah. of responsibility, isn't there? Like, what what responsibilities do we in the West and America and UK have towards our friends and yeah. the rest of the world? Where there's very little resources, but incredible thinking, yeah. incredible leadership. And I think the challenge for us in the UK setting, because we we juggle this a lot as youthscape, don't we? We we really believe in employed youth ministry. Lots of us are employed youth workers, and that's our background. We really believe in excellence and professionalism and training. We also really believe in the volunteer in the local church mm. and, and being equipped. So how, how, it's almost like they're two different f- strands, aren't they? Does the cohort yeah. rely on an employed worker with resourcing? I mean, how yeah. would that work on a volunteer level? It's with- hard to... I mean, you again, we have to, yeah. we have to reimagine it for the UK yeah. context, and it could be that a volunteer um, weekends... Um, volunteer-based thing could work maybe with fewer meetings that there could be a way of that work it won't work for everybody Um, I do still firmly believe there is a role for um, employed youth workers in this country and and for those churches that can afford um, a full-time youth worker not only to have the vision for their church but but also for their area so that those full-time youth workers become resources to to other churches around and I, I haven't seen that that model, we've talked about it for a while. I still haven't seen it kick off in too many places. There are one or two people who do definitely do yeah. that. Um, but uh, but largely a church, if it's going to pay the money for a, a worker, mm. then wants that worker focused on that parish or mm. that church or mm. that, you know, that youth group even. Yeah, um, it's bold leadership on lots of levels, yeah. isn't it, that allows teams to, to look beyond your kind of parish lines or yeah. your church lines. Awesome, let's get him back on again. Yeah, we will. Come on, let's line him up. Right, before we finish, yes. we have a new cast of shout-outs. No, new cohort. Oh, I see what you did new there. New cuddle! New, co- new cohort of shout-outs, yeah. Well Here done. we go. Yeah. 
Did you just invent a jingle for the youth cartel? <laughs> and also, yet again, I'm doing movements that so don't are. make any sense. If only this was a vodcast, <laughs> yeah, people would see your dancing. So we have some new people, some wonderful new people, who we want to introduce to everybody, don't we? So here we go. Here's a bit of paper. We do sometimes write things down. Did that was the first time we've ever done sound effects on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Open the door. <laughs> Brilliant. So, first up, who is this bloke at the top? Stephen Mitchell. Who's Stephen Mitchell? Mitchell. Friend of the show, Stephen oh, Mitchell. Stephen. You know who Stephen is. I know who you are, Stephen. Stephen's a great guy, great youth worker. Do you know what? I yeah. just the reason why I love him yeah. is because he's just one of those people who who actually just always speaks well of us yes. and always says nice things. Our ego is very fragile. No, isn't it's it? not that. It's just I think it's a it's a noble character it trait, a noble character to, trait. To, to to always speak well of people who are occasionally morons. Mm. So thank you, Stephen. You are on the shout out list. You Hello make to us you. Feel good. Now we also are a shout out to Beth Stout. A stout out. A stout out, Beth. We think you're fantastic. So Beth, did she start Gold Digger? I need she to, is to check. part of running Gold Digger. She's pretty brilliant. And and Beth, you are. I think you're one of those leading authorities when it comes to things like young people and understanding sex and relationships and helping us kind of engage well with what's going on for young people and kind of bring to them good wisdom accessible materials so Beth and the team at Gold Digger we think you're awesome Beth we want to get you on the show please except, except can I just say that when Beth spoke at the Youth Work Summit in 2013 yeah. she said something quite unrepeatable on stage in front Did of 1200 she? people fantastic so if you do come on the um, you know what I'm talking we'll about we'll do it after 9pm watershed yeah I think it's still on the Youth Work Summit probably is was it website. in context like did oh, she just randomly go off on one or was totally it... in context well there we go that's brilliant but also quite rude was it quite rude well I mean was it body parts rude it's sort of body parts rude well can body parts be rude I like, think this one can if she's just using the real words yeah is she using real words or, or like words no it's real words it's, I guess medical Description. Medical. Don't push me. Okay. Don't push me. I'm not sure this is rude. I think she probably was just doing some good stuff. I think she said something we can't say on the podcast. Oh, okay. All right. That's fine. That's all right. Paul Window. He's not said anything rude. Never. He? In his life. In his life. Paul, we love you. We think you're brilliant. Paul's at Urban Saints. Yes. And he was one of our very first listeners, wasn't he? Yeah, bless him. Back when, back when we did episodes without a microphone. When we recorded on the internal microphone on a MacBook. He was very sweet and said, go guys, keep going. Yeah, guys, keep going keep and maybe go to Maplin and spend 50 quid on a microphone. So, and then finally, last but not least, Claire Wallace. Claire we Wallace. A weekly shout out to Claire. We love Claire Wallace. She is a friend of the show, a mm-hmm. uh, big supporter. And uh, also I uh, keep meeting her at events. <laughs> Merit Soul Survivor, Merit the National Youth Ministry. <laughs> and she still, she still comes back for more. Claire, what I love is that, like... We've been holding this piece of paper very tenderly between us. And like these names, it's like we're doing eulogies. Like, it's like the Lamb's Book of Life. It's wonderful. So there we go. Bit of paper. You so also, shout out to All you four of you are all assured of a place in the higher heaven. Oh, wow. I didn't realise that we do that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's the special uh, Whew, bonus. Reach out and touch the mic. So, friends, have a great day. We've waffled on for more than enough. Um, but we want to remind you also about Patreon because everyone's mad as me, Patreon, Patreon. So uh, remember, you can support uh, this wonderful initiative for less than a dollar a month. It, it works is a dollar a month. At seven, oh, it's, it is a dollar a month. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not less than a dollar because that's a dollar is less One than a cent. pound. Like for a penny. No, it's like 79 pence in like English money, isn't yeah. it? 
Which is nothing. A dollar for what can you get for that? American you can't even get a Mars bar for that now. No, and we obviously spend that on bits of paper and writing like <laughs> names of people to do shout outs for. So you can go to our Patreon site, which is patreon.com com slash dash youthscape. Well done. <laughs> we got there. So friends, have an amazing day. I hope the sun is shining where you are. We love you lots. Goodbye. Let's both record something and then hopefully, hopefully. at the end. Whoa.